You're listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly show featuring reporting and interviews on local news, music, and culture. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. Just a quick reminder that this show is now available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed already, and please do so if you haven't. Rating and reviewing the podcast also helps support Jackson's only nonprofit newsroom and Wyoming's only community radio station. Now, on to today's show. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and a new mindfulness training program is showing promising results for a wide range of local residents. No other community had ever tried to approach this from a community-based context. Plus, the Jackson Band Inland Isle also tackles mental health and upheaval in America in their new album, Time Has Changed Us, which came out at the end of last month. There is something about the people that move here or to any mountain town where they might experience things more deeply, and that includes the ups and the lows. But first, following her removal from party leadership last week, Liz Cheney is only viewed favorably by 18% of Republicans nationwide, according to a recent poll from The Economist. Limited state data also shows she's trailing by double digits to some of her potential 2022 primary challengers for Wyoming's lone congressional seat. So why exactly has Cheney become so unpopular so quickly, even among her supposed base in Teton County? KHOL's Will Walkie has more. You know Liz Cheney is front and center in the cultural zeitgeist when she makes it on Saturday Night Live. She was imitated in last Saturday's show by Kate McKinnon. I don't know what happened. I don't know what I did wrong. Look at me. I am everything a conservative woman is supposed to be. Blonde. Mean. Like every good SNL skit, there's a bit of truth in every joke. Cheney's ouster from the leadership of her own party happened seemingly in a flash. Her voting record matched Donald Trump's more than 90% of the time throughout his presidency, according to the stats website 538. Cheney was seen as a champion of constitutionalism and a representative of the old Republican Guard from the days of Bush and Reagan. Yet, here she was, speaking to Congress almost desperately on May 11th. I will not sit back and watch in silence while others lead our party down a path that abandons the rule of law and joins the former president's crusade to undermine our democracy. Cheney was voted out of her leadership position the next morning during a meeting that lasted just 16 minutes. Polls show that a majority of Republicans nationwide view Cheney unfavorably now, including some party members from Teton County, I'm tired of hearing about the January 6th insurrection out of Liz Cheney's mouth. I just, I don't really trust what she's doing right now. It seems like she's flip-flopping depending on who's in power. Rebecca Bextel, the first speaker, is a small business owner in Jackson, originally from Alabama. She's lived in Teton County for more than 15 years, and she cares about a lot of the same things as Liz Cheney. Second Amendment rights, immigration, and taking down, quote, woke culture. But she says she's never really been a fan of Cheney's. I don't care for anyone who's not in touch with their voters. She doesn't live in Wyoming. She moved to Wyoming to go to Virginia. I don't understand that. Just be in Virginia. Bextel canvassed for President Trump, and she believes he won the election despite the evidence that that's not true. Cheney's statements about Trump since the 2020 election, well, that was the final straw. Now, Bextel says, Cheney's gone full rhino, Republican in name only, 
despite her conservative voting record. Quit lying to us, Liz Cheney. Quit lying to us, Mitt Romney. I expect that from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I don't expect that from my only congressional leadership in the state of Wyoming. Kat Ruckert is a conservative from just outside Portland, Oregon. She's in her 20s, which she says makes her unique to the GOP in Teton County. She also attended a meeting last week with other Wyoming Republicans in Cody and says Cheney could be in real trouble. I think the majority of the representatives at this particular state meeting were not for Liz Cheney in the upcoming election. At least seven potential candidates have already lined up to primary Cheney next year. Both Rukert and Bextel gave opinions on what they're looking for in a replacement. You got to be able to trust them. They got to talk like they're talking to you genuinely. And uh, I feel like the only way I can make that that decision is, is talking to these candidates going, all right, do they sound like they've got the cojones to, you know, get stuff done for Wyoming in Washington? I'm going to wait for President Donald J. Trump's endorsement for sure. Yet unseating Cheney isn't going to be easy. For starters, she's out fundraising every other candidate by a long shot. Many establishment members of the Teton County GOP, such as former mayor of Jackson Mark Barron and former head of the party Alex Moromsev, have also spoken recently in her defense. But the current head of the local GOP doesn't support Cheney, and moderate conservatives who may have been sympathetic to her, like Zach Padilla, may start leaving the party completely. I, I really felt like um, I might have been maybe a good person to represent uh, a more moderate Republican, but at the same time, it wasn't me. It, didn't, it wasn't where I belonged, and I couldn't speak freely. Padilla is a local sommelier and business owner and a former candidate for the Jackson Town Council. He's caucused with the Teton County Republicans before, but recently, he left the GOP and became chair of the local Libertarian Party. I don't see any reason why we can't support the LGBTQ, support the Second Amendment, you know, support human freedoms and human rights. You know, there's no reason why we can't do that. But there's arguments about that within the Democrat Party and the Republican Party. And I was like, you know what? I belong with the Libertarians because they agree with me that everybody deserves the same freedoms, the same rights, the same opportunities. Padilla says the two-party system doesn't represent all voters. And the January 6th insurrection and Cheney's ousting demonstrates that. Padilla sees this moment as an opportunity for a third party. If there's a solid libertarian candidate, even a solid Democrat, there's a chance that Liz could lose. But I, I really I don't wish her ill will. I don't necessarily need her to be in office again or not. Um, I really just want to see us focus on every level of leadership, not just Liz, not just the presidency. For now, all eyes seem likely to stay focused on Cheney as she keeps speaking out against former President Trump. She says she'll do, quote, whatever it takes to keep him out of office in 2024. And she also hasn't ruled out a White House run of her own. Milwaukee, KHOL News. Last month, the nonprofit Becoming Jackson Whole, that's Whole with a W, released the results of a local study with pretty remarkable results. A group of community leaders who participated in a mindfulness training program showed significant improvements in focus, productivity, and overall mood. 
With May being Mental Health Awareness Month, KHOL's Kyle Mackey spoke to three of the participants to learn more about the positive impacts of incorporating mindfulness into their daily lives. Sue Mason was interested in how the human brain is wired before she participated in Becoming Jackson Hole's first mindfulness-based attention training, or MBAC course, in January 2020. But her understanding of mindfulness has evolved a lot since then. Before this, I was just like, I thought mindfulness honestly was kind of fluffy. You know, I, it, it was kind of like, oh, it's a luxury. It's calming. It's relaxing. And it's not like that at all. <laughs> Far from being luxurious, Mason says she's learned that practicing mindfulness is actually really difficult. I would describe it as like um, setting aside time to be intentional about the next 60 to 120 minutes of your day and really being present and really being focused. Another way to think about it, according to Dr. Amishi Jha, is like a mental push-up. Jha is a cognitive neuroscientist and professor of psychology at the University of Miami. And she's also the science advisor to Becoming Jackson Hole. Mindfulness is a form of cognitive or brain training. And just like any kind of training, we want to have exercises, we want to have ways to embed it into our our day-to-day life. But it ends up when we want to exercise the mind, it's not going to look quite the same as obviously exercising the body. Ja says the whole point of mindfulness is to target what she describes as the pain point of modern life. The fact that our mind isn't always where we want it to be. She also walked KHOL through a sample practice of how to work on that. Feel free to close or lower your eyes and pay attention to the sensations of breathing. So we pick a target object for the mind for attention. And as we do this for a little bit, we'll notice our mind will flit away going to the past or future, anywhere but here and now, when you notice your mind wandering, gently return it back to the present moment to your breath-related sensations. And that is sort of the push-up. It's to pay attention and focus, to notice mind wandering, and redirect. Ja recommends practicing that redirection for about 12 to 15 minutes every day in order to reap benefits like improved attention, productivity, and leadership. It might sound too good to be true, but three course participants KHOL interviewed say they've all noticed a bunch of positive changes since incorporating mindfulness into their lives. Mason is the statewide director of stewardship for the nonprofit Climb Wyoming. She says her colleagues started noticing differences in her performance and demeanor at work. People were asking me, like, you're just showing up so much calmer, or isn't this bothering you? Things like that. You know, aren't you bothered by this? And I was like, I'm really not feeling it in my body, like just being aware. And then they started asking me, and now they want, they're like, can I come early? And they're asking me to guide, do little guided practice. Tony Matthews is a sergeant with the Jackson Police Department. He says one of the most immediate benefits for him was that he started sleeping better after practicing mindfulness before bed. The exercises he learned have also helped him regulate his stress level at work. Police, law enforcement, those types of jobs, you have to amp yourself up all the time. You know, you've got the the radio talking to you all the time. You have to be ready for everything. You're, You're in an elevated sense of awareness all the time. So for me, it's bringing that back home, focusing on myself, where I'm at, and bring that down a little bit. Anna Olson, president and CEO of the Jackson Hole Chamber of Commerce, also went through the training. She says mindfulness is now something she expects to continue practicing for the rest of her life. It doesn't solve everything. I still get stressed. I still have you know, anxiety at things. But 
it's a tool that you can just go to when you need to. And it does help. Olson, Matthews, and Mason all say they've been passing along some of what they learned to their colleagues and others at work. Matthews and Mason also took part in a follow-up train-the-trainer course, through which they're now certified to officially teach the MBAC course. I have a desire for our community in Jackson to be peculiar, so to speak. I want us to lead the way, not follow, to be an example to the rest of the country and and world of what can work and what will work well, um, instead of following the trends of what everybody else is doing. Bringing it back to the science, Dr. Jaw says the Jackson study on the first cohort to take the MBAC course was unique because the participants were so diverse. We already had a large literature that individually these different sectors of society can benefit, but no other community had ever tried to approach this from a community-based context. That was the vision of Sarah Flitner, president and founder of Becoming Jackson Whole and a former mayor of Jackson. She says she launched the organization in part to help foster a less divided and more civil community. When you build a collaborative problem-solving mechanism, when you bring stakeholders from different vantage points together over a common problem or to learn a common thing, there's something really uniting and powerful about that. In other words, Flitner hopes to get Jackson Hole residents out of their bubbles and engaging with each other more. The next opportunity for folks interested in trying that out her way will be coming this fall with another MBAT course open to about 50 members of the general public. Kyle Mackey, KHOL News. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked on KHOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly show featuring reporting and interviews on local and regional news, music, and culture. Jackson Unpacked airs Wednesdays at 7.30 a.m. and Fridays and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. And you can also now listen and subscribe to the show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app. Coming up next... The Jackson indie folk rock band Inland Isle released their debut album on April 30th. KHOL music director Jack Catlin caught up with two of the band members back in March to talk about the group's recording process and their decision to tackle mental health through their music. Folk rock band Inland Isle has a style uniquely their own. Their songs feature intimate and vivid lyrics, skillful musicianship, and four-part vocal harmonies. The band's latest single, Annalise, premiered on Friday, February 26th. Annalise explores the contrast of being in a beautiful place like Jackson, but struggling with mental health. Lead singer Pat Chadwick and bassist Leif Routman joined us recently in the KHOL studio. So your album, Time Has Changed Us, was recorded in a cabin in Montana over a relatively short period of time. How did leaving Jackson as a group help you focus on fleshing out the final version of the album? Well, and so many magical things happen when you get in the room with other people and you bounce ideas back and forth. That's the biggest difference is, you know, Pat can sit and work at his computer and come up with his demos and go, yeah, this is the best one and I can do the same and Dusty can do the same. But when we get together, you know, we poke each other and we say, hey, what if we just change this little bit here and shifted it over a key or, you know, just changes the instrumentation here just a little bit. What would that sound like? And a lot of times it doesn't work. And a lot of times it does work and you go, whoa, 
wow. So to have designated time for that was just an absolute luxury and, and uh, you know, really led to, I think, our, our artistry being able to flourish a little bit. Did that natural deep in the woods setting work its way into the sound of the recordings? I really believe that music is dictated by the ambient environment to a, to a large degree. If you live in the you know heart of Los Angeles or heart of Chicago and you're just hearing this constant drone of noise and rhythms, you know, of the cityscape and the buses, that's going to work its way into your into your sound. For us, I think having the blank canvas of a very fairly isolated mountain range and at a fairly isolated time of year, you know, October, November, gave us a, a really nice canvas at which to stretch out on. Yeah, I mean, there are wolves being held or raised <laughs> nearby. They're they're on a, a compound of some sort. So like Ambient there, wolf howls to there was the definitely mood. wolf wolf howls and just the 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 shape of the cabin uh, had a had had tall ceilings just like as far as drums and things like that were concerned. So it literally did affect the sound uh, of acoustic instruments. The album addresses the challenges of moving forward after times of upheaval, both in personal relationships and with the world in general. Does songwriting help you process the challenges we've been dealing with with the pandemic? You know, it's weird. All these songs were written before the pandemic, but a lot of the lines in, in the songs, like they seem to fit even better. There's a line in one of the forthcoming songs where I say, I have my health. That's enough till I'm with you. I don't even know where that came from. It kind of fit in. And then, you know, things with one of our political songs said spring begins like an awkward hymn. And, you know, obviously last spring was pretty awkward with, with things in the pandemic. I started to write some songs since then, and it's definitely helped me process it. But these songs were written before, but seem to kind of fit into whatever reality we're dealing with now. So can you guys walk us through how an Inland Isle song comes to fruition? For the purpose of this album, there were two primary songwriters, myself and, and Dusty Nichols. We both kind of brought pretty bare songs. There were, there were demos, I think, that I wrote, you know, they were a good framework. And then basically we had, you know, just work on the dynamics of the song together, going through different feels, things that I wouldn't necessarily come up on my own. And then there was another aspect of these, these vocal harmonies that became such a big part of all the songs where we'd get together without instruments and and drink wine and eat bread and, and sing and just focus on that part. That was a huge part of how the, the songs got their identity. You know, we would meet weekly, bi-weekly, three times or post up and or go on tour for the weekend. And then in the mornings, before, you know, or daytime between gigs, we would just be messing around with these songs. Yeah, it was really cool to let them simmer a little bit and just kind of taste as we went, drink a lot of wine and eat a lot of good food and sing a lot of harmonies, try things out. So your latest single, Annalise, is a song inspired by your community members who have struggled with mental health. What do you think it is about Jackson that lends itself to issues of seasonal depression? There is something about the people that move here or to any mountain town where they might experience things more deeply, and that includes the ups and the lows. Pat and I have both lived here for, for over a decade in this valley. It's a while. You see a lot of people come and go, and, you know, we're all semi-sort of sensitive weirdos that, that are, find our way to this place. I think you really nailed it. I mean, if we're if the highs are high, then the lows can be low. You know, that's why the message of the song to me is just so important. It's like look after each other and uh, and keep an eye on people because we are prone to sway here. You have a video for Annalise. Can you tell us about the concept behind the music video? The character Annalise, she is or was a musician. It's kind of dealing with the aftermath of trying to find the specter of Annalise kind of traveling around the Jackson Hole area. And I've got this guitar I'm carrying with me. And is my guitar named Annalise? Is it, was it Annalise's guitar? I don't know. It's basically playing on that and, and leaving it up to, a little bit to interpretation. You know, after a traumatic event, there's not always a clear path to meaning. There's just imagery and feelings and sensations um, that we have to move through. 
maybe this can be a tool to help someone move through that. Hear Inland Isles music right here on KHOL during our local music hour. That airs weekdays from 3 to 4 p.m. I'm Jack Catlin, and this is KHOL Jackson. Our final story today comes to KHOL through the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Collaborative. A new study based on crowdsourced data and published in the journal GeoHealth has found that last year's historic wildfires may have played a larger role in the 2020 mass die-off of migratory birds across the western United States than previously thought. Hannah Lee Myers of KGNU in Boulder, Colorado, has the story. Migratory birds are making their presence known on the front range once again. As cheery as they sound, in reality, many of the bird populations that make their way through Colorado are recovering from a devastating 2020 migration that resulted in a mass die-off. You think it was the breeze? I have no idea. Photos and videos like this one, taken by journalist Austin Fisher, started showing up on social media in the fall of 2020, showing hundreds if not thousands of dead birds that seemed to have fallen from the sky, leaving experts and the public confused as to what happened. Inspired by these mass reports of avian deaths, Experts like Annie Young, an infectious disease and health-focused ecologist working as a postdoc fellow at Colorado State University with a joint position at the USDA APHIS Wildlife Service, started looking for answers. That's when Annie Young and her University of Wyoming colleague, Dai Young, discovered the iNaturalist app, where citizen scientists usually post information about living birds, had become a place where reports of avian deaths were being compiled. During that time period, it has been found like there's hundreds of the die-offs that are recorded by the citizen scientists. And then that's a very unusual event. And that's that's kind of like the reason that the iNaturalists started these projects here. So what did you find when you started looking at the iNaturalist data? What we've been found is that the the wildfire and the toxic gas and the smoke they uh, the fire produce will uh, significantly impact the uh, spatial distribution of the events being found. Yang is referencing the devastating 2020 wildfire season that burned over 10 million acres in the western United States and 625,000 acres in Colorado alone including the three largest fires on record in Colorado history. The toxic gas, the smoke will definitely impact their health because like the birds are really sensitive. Their respiratory systems are really sensitive to those air pollution. So, Young's report is by no means the first to look at what caused the 2020 migratory bird die-off. 
At the end of 2020, the USGS National Wildlife Health Center posted the results of necropsies that found that 80% of specimens showed signs of starvation. And some reports were pinning the mass die-off in the West on long-term starvation made worse by unseasonably cold weather. However, at the same time, the Audubon Society was pointing to starvation, weather, and fires. Young says their new report linking the die-off in the West to the wildfires and toxic gases just adds another piece to the puzzle. So the fire, the storm, and then the die-off events are happening at the same time. We were uh, trying to figure out, like, what is the uh, environmental factors that influence the uh, those die-off events. Young says some of the species most frequently recorded on the iNaturalist app as part of the die-off were the mountain bluebird, the western bluebird, and flycatchers. But it seems the greatest impact was felt by warbler varieties, like the Virginia warbler, the Wilson's warbler, the orange-crowned warbler, and the Townsend's warbler. Geese, hummingbirds, and sparrows were also part of the die-off. For some of these species, it's going to take a while to recover from the 2020 die-off. To make matters worse, climate change predictions and lingering drought across the West means we could have yet another rough year when it comes to wildfires which Yang says could cause further decline in certain migratory species. So what can be done to help protect migratory birds? Yang says ensuring citizen scientists continue to monitor bird populations and report avian deaths on apps like iNaturalist is important. But considering the findings of this new report, strict adherence to fire regulations and safety seems important as well if we're going to ensure the same migratory bird populations continue to visit the West season after season. For KGNU, I'm Hanley Myers. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strombucket. Tune in for Jackson Unpacked every week, Wednesday mornings at 7.30 a.m. and Fridays and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. And remember to subscribe to Jackson Unpacked, the podcast, on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.